This is Stadium to Boardroom. Listen in as top athletes tell their stories on how they developed into successful entrepreneurs and business leaders. They reveal their own aha moment of transformation from the stadium to the boardroom. Hello, America. I'm Robert Brees. I'm Lynn Green. And welcome to Stadium to Boardroom, the only show where we share insights about the stars in sports who become stars in business. And we're here today with Drew Brees. How are you, Drew? I'm doing great. How you guys doing? Doing great. And I want to tell you, so excited to be with you because you are one of the few people who have truly transcended sports. So I want to start off asking about the concept of leadership. Are there any similarities in success in sports and in business, or are they different? No, I mean, there's there's absolutely similarities. Uh, I mean, I think leadership carries across, you know, all segments, you know, no matter what you're involved in. Um, and very simply put, leadership is the ability to motivate and inspire. And people can do that in a lot of different ways. Um, I think we've We've all been around those who, you know, are very vocal leaders. Um, you know, there's there's something about them. There's a personality. There's an energy. There's a positivity um, that people gravitate towards. Um, there's those that are very quiet. You know, I had teammates who um, I, I probably only heard say just a few words <laughs> in our careers together. And yet uh, they motivated and inspired me every day by their work ethic, you know, by the way that they approach their craft. Um, by the way that they would practice, um, by their dedication to to the team, they didn't need to say anything. You know, their actions uh, spoke loudly enough. So, um, but I, I think it, it very, if you just boil it down, you know, what is leadership? It's the ability to get the best out of those around you. And so, how you do that, uh, I think, needs to match your personality. I think it needs to be authentic. Um, and when people see that you care. And they see that uh, you have their best interest at heart, um, as well as the teams. Uh, I think that goes a long way. Drew, there's so many athletes who start restaurants or do things and just put their name on it and don't get involved. And statistically, when we did work at Babson College, we find that about 60 to 70 percent of them fail. Now, you, you're successful. Then what are you doing differently Okay, in that area. First off, you you want to you want to do things that you are passionate about um, that you can you can set the same types of goals and standards towards that you did when you were an athlete. Um, you know, so the same type of preparation, the same type of team building, the same type of goal setting, um, the same type of approach that you had you know week in week out with your athletic career. You want to apply to to whatever you're doing in that next chapter of life. And it just happens uh, for me that, um, you know, I found um, a great place in franchising um, and uh, with a lot of these, you know, restaurant businesses where, look, I, first and foremost, I started off as a customer of every business that I'm involved in. And in fact, I was a customer first in all of these, you know, my journey in franchising started because I was a college kid at Purdue university back in 1997 and I would order Jimmy John sandwiches to the dorm three days a week, right? Sometimes at three o'clock in the morning, I would order a number nine with no cheese, add hot peppers. And 15 minutes later, I'd have some dude come rolling up on a bicycle and hand me a fresh Jimmy John sandwich. And I'd take a bite of that sandwich 
And I was like, man, this like it is so consistent. It is so good. Each and every time I know exactly what I'm getting. And I called and he got here in 15 minutes. This is the most amazing thing ever, right? And so I get drafted by the San Diego Chargers in 2001. I come out to San Diego. There's no Jimmy Johns. I go to New Orleans five years later. There's no Jimmy Johns. The only time I could get Jimmy Johns is when I was going back to Purdue University, right? So finally in 2011, I mean, here we are like 10 years after college. I'm literally sitting taking a bite of a number nine at the State Street location at Jimmy, at Jimmy John's in, at Purdue University. And I said, that's it. I have to get Jimmy John's down to New Orleans. Like I am done only being able to get it when I come up to the Midwest. So I call up a friend of mine who had actually been a walk-on at Purdue. He was a buddy of mine. He had been working at Jimmy John's while he was a walk-on, while he was a student, a remarkable guy, ends up becoming VP of operations for Jimmy John's corporate. And I call him up and I say, Carl, what do I need to do to bring Jimmy John's down to New Orleans? And he said, well, we just opened up the territory. Are you serious? I say, yes. So that is how I became a Jimmy John's franchisee, selfishly, because I wanted Jimmy John's three times a week down in New Orleans. But I also felt like, you know what, what a great opportunity to bring a great brand uh, down to New Orleans. Um, I mean, shoot, at, at times we would employ 30 people in a day down, down uh, at our first Jimmy John's location in New Orleans. And here we are now with 25 locations throughout the Southeast. It's been a great business. Look, it's had its, its ups and downs at times. But, you know, certainly in the beginning years, man, I would try to involve myself in every aspect of that business. With our operating partners, I would sit in on, on meetings all the time with our managers. I would actually go out and, and try to select new sites. I would negotiate leases with landlords. And I was doing all kinds of stuff. Because I wanted to understand the business. I wanted to learn the business. I wanted to know what it took for it to be successful. Um, and uh, I think at the end of the day, that's really what gave me uh, a passion for franchising. And I think put me on this path to continue to identify other brands that were also very authentic, brands that I really loved and wanted to be involved with and wanted to help grow. That's, that's the origin story around my, my foray into franchising. Well, Drew, it's a, a great story. And let's stay on business. So obviously, when you grow up as an athlete, you have a lot of people who you learn from. Who have you learned from in business, either a business or a person, but who has helped teach you about how to succeed in business? Well, uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I've, I've had a lot of mentors um, in, in business and in life, uh, for that matter. Um, you know, coming off of... Uh, you know, call it my, uh, you know, Jimmy John's, you know, franchisee experience. You know, I was looking for the next um, kind of the next opportunity. And, and I'd always kind of wanted to create my own sports bar concept. And so um, I remember here I am in New Orleans now. It's around 2015. And we would always stay the night before games. We would always stay in downtown New Orleans. And then I would drive right up Poydras Street to the Super Bowl. Okay. And as I'm on that drive, I would always pass the sports bar on my right. It was called Walk-On's uh, you know, Sports Bar and Bistro. And oh, absolutely. Like, That's the one you got involved in. I was like, I was like man, that, that, that place looks pretty cool. Um, you know, I'm, uh, uh, I, I need to go check that place out because, you know, I want to create my own sports bar concept. Maybe I'll get some ideas. And I remember walking in and saying to myself, you know what? Golly, like, I love, the, I love the design. I love the way they put the TVs. I love the way they put the bar. They've got this little private area. Like they got the pop a shot. 
and everybody's so friendly. Like, I love the culture. I love that. I'm like, dang it. I was like, if I were to create a sports bar concert, it would be just like this. Like, exactly. Um, so I was like, okay, well, instead of trying to create my own, why don't I just see what these guys are up to? You know, so I start researching walk-ons um, and get a chance to, to meet and, and know Brandon Landry, who's one of the co-founders of the brand. Um, and to feel his passion and dedication to something that, you know, he and, and his best friend in college had created back when they were walk-ons at LSU. They were uh, walk-ons on the basketball team back at LSU from 1997 to 2001. Ironically, the exact same time that I was at Purdue University. Um, and they had basically drawn their sports bar concept on the back of a napkin when they were coming back from a game from Tennessee. And, uh, and here they were now kind of in the very early stages of, of building this brand. You know, they had a couple corporate locations, but, you know, uh, Brandon's vision and goal for this was to turn it into a massive franchise concept and, and really change the game, kind of call it in the full service, you know, sports bar restaurant, very food, like uh, menu focus, menu first food focused uh, restaurant and bringing a taste of Louisiana to the rest of the world. And I thought, you know what? man, you are doing it right. I believe in you. And I've learned so much from Brandon along the way. You know, he's been one of those people, um, you know, throughout the other franchise businesses that I'm involved in, Everbowl, Stretch Zone, Small Sliders. Um, there's quite a few others. Uh, Franworth. I've, I've been able to develop a great group of calling mentors, friends, experienced people in the business that I have a chance to, you know, glean information from on a daily basis um, that continue to help, you know, push me to, to be better, to be a lifelong learner um, and to be really successful in this space. Well, let me throw one more question at you if we have time. Okay. I, 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 yesterday we had Robert and, and his crew here at Babson college. Okay. And, and we were asking, you know, where athletics comes into play as far as success with CEOs because Robert inter interviews so many CEOs and, and I played some ball and we, 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 we came to the conclusion that that certain situations that you're in in football in especially as a if, if you're in the position of being a quarterback you have to make quick decisions you have to have strategy and, and I've been preaching that that kind of experience, set you up for making those kinds of decisions in the real business world, your opinion of what I'm saying. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, one of the great things about sports, and this is why every, every kid should play sports. Um, every kid should, should play multiple sports is that the more competitive situations you can be in, I think the more that that prepares you for those similar types of situations in life. Um, whether it's in the business world, whether it's just honestly, it's 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 decision making is what it is. Um, you know, I tell young quarterbacks all the time, um, how should you evaluate yourself? I ask that question. How, how should you evaluate yourself as a quarterback? Because the quarterback is that one position where um, sometimes the best decision you make on a play actually shows up as a negative on the stat sheet. So think about this for a second. If you're in the pocket. All of a sudden, the pocket breaks down. You've got rushers, you know, collapsing in on you. Maybe you're not, you know, the route hasn't quite developed yet. You know, if you all of a sudden, you know, take a risk and turn that ball loose, it gets intercepted or something like that, that's bad. If you take a sack, that's a 7 to 10-yard loss. That's bad, right? But if you can find a way to maybe buy some time, find a completion, or throw the ball away, 
sometimes the best play you can make on, on any given play is to throw the ball away, live to play another day, get back to the line of scrimmage, and put yourself into a third manageable situation, which increases your chances of getting a first down, which increases your chance of going to get points, which increases your chance of winning the game, right? Like it's all an odds game, right? You're just an odds maker throughout the course of the game. But so the best decision you made shows up as a negative on the stat sheet, right? That, hey, you threw the ball away. That's 0 for 1. That hurt your quarterback rating. So I said, don't, don't measure yourself by statistics. Don't measure yourself by any, any of that stuff, the perception. Measure yourself on your decision making. Because if you make the right decision on every play, man, you are putting yourself in, in your team in the best position to win. So think about that for life, right? Like not everything is going to work out just the way that you want. But if you gauge yourself instead on the result and just gauge yourself on, man, did I make the best decision in that situation? You know, under duress, under stress, did I stay true to my core morals, values, uh, you know, mission, vision, value structure? Like did I, did, if I stayed true to that, then, man, I should be I should be happy with the decision that I made. And in most cases and certainly in the end, that's going to end up being the right thing. Amen. So we were talking about about the next generation and mentioned Babson yesterday. And um, when you went from college to to pro, you were actually not a first round pick. Now you're number one of the second round, but you were not a first round pick. What is your mindset like? in jumping from one area in anything in life to the next area, like going from college to pro? Because a lot of students, they're going to go from college to pro, maybe not in football, but it's a big jump where everything's faster. Yeah. So, you know, my goal, uh, and, and I think this is just the competitive mentality when I was coming out of college was, Hey, I want to get you drafted as high as possible. Right. It didn't matter where I was going or, what system I was going into or who I was, you know, who the coach was or anything like that. It was just the competitive mentality was I need to get drafted as high as possible. Um, Cause I think that's where a lot of, I think the tendency is that's where you put your value is in how high you get drafted. But I think what I realized through that process as teams, you know, passed me up, passed me up in the first round and Hey, I'm getting frustrated. And man, I thought they were going to take me, man. I thought I really had a good interview with them, whatever it might be. Um, at the end of the day, I get, I fall to the second round, but I go to the place where that was the best fit for me. And that was the San Diego chargers. I had a chance to play behind Doug Flutie. I got drafted right alongside one of the greatest players of all time, LaDainian Tomlinson. I had a chance to play with one of the great leaders and players of all time in junior Seau and Rodney Harrison and so many others. I had a chance to play for one of the greatest coaches of all time, Marty Schottenheimer, who helped mold me in so many different ways. Um, as a quarterback, as a leader. Um, and so I'm so thankful that I fell to the second round. You know, at the time, uh, I'm sitting there thinking, I, you know, my value is all about, you know, where I get drafted in the first round. But in reality, the most important thing was that I ended up in the right system, the right coach, with the right structure in place, with the right type of mentors that were going to help develop me into the best player that I could possibly be. And that's exactly what I was able to find in San Diego with the Chargers. And so uh, I, would, I, would, I would encourage anybody who's transitioning, whether it's sports or whatever, when you are going to the next level, um, it's all about being in the right place where that environment will help get the best out of you. And it will help you develop the traits that you need to accomplish what you want to accomplish later on in life. 
And that's the other thing that I think is interesting about this is that, you know, we live in this, we live in this world and, 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 and kind of in this mindset of, man, you want what you want and you want it now, right? It's this instant gratification. And at the end of the day, the reality is that you need to develop traits and attributes before you can get to that point, right? And so it's okay to have your, your, your goal and your vision on, okay, I want to be here, but you're going to have many stepping stones and you're going to get knocked off those stones at times in order to get to where you want to go. And think about the skills, the traits, the attributes that you want to develop um, and accept the job opportunities, accept the roles that are going to help you develop those skill sets to get to that eventual point. Um, and embrace those, be the best that you can be where you are at that moment. It may not be where you want to be eventually, but be the best at where you are, like be a role player at times in order to eventually get to the point where, you know, you, you are where you want to be and you've developed all, you paid your dues, you've developed all the skill sets to get there. These messages are, are just super. Can I ask you one more? Okay. As far as, as, We've had a number of people on the show, and we've interviewed a number of people in, in, in my classroom. And, and the words confidence and I can handle pressure and diverse business opportunities keeps on coming up over and over and over again. Drew, is there some connection that you can make? Are those were those important things for you? Yeah, I embraced. I, I embraced challenges. I embraced, you know, being in situations where, you know, it took, it took a little while to get here, but, but I, I, I tried to embrace being uncomfortable at times. You know, I had one of my mentors tell me one time, you got to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, you know, so like put, putting yourself in situations where, Hey, this isn't my strength, you know, or this isn't kind of what I'm used to doing. And yet um, I gotta, I gotta fight my way through this a little bit. You know, I've got to, uh, be able to jump into the fire and, and, and figure this out. And um, I mean, I think that's part of the growth and, and maturation process is, is having to fight and struggle a little bit. I think the tendency is, I mean, you see it with kids um, is that, you know, they don't want to put themselves in positions that they're not good at, like, right. They, they don't want to, you know, they, they'll, they'll try to remove themselves from those situations pretty quick. And I think that that's, that's the, that's the, you know, one of the key elements of, of childhood development and just personal growth is that you you get into challenging situations or you, you intentionally put yourself in challenging situations to 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 struggle and, and work through and um, I mean that's how you develop confidence that's how you develop a skill set and that's how you develop also the mentality that hey no matter what the situation is we'll, we'll find a way to navigate through this um, and you know you you develop I think this th- th- there is a skill to um, being in pressure situations and being able to just calm everything down. Right. Um, I mean, I, I equate it to like in golf, if, if, if you're a golfer and you got to go step up and make a three foot putt, that's really meaningful. You know, you got, you got a game with your buddies, right? And this is a meaningful putt, you know, like, man, how do you just, how do you kind of calm everything down and kind of laser focus in on where you need to hit that ball, you know, and you just kind of have this routine, this rhythm. But I always found that, I mean, this is very applicable to the quarterback position. I think anybody in a position of leadership is that when the pressure elevates, you have to find a way to like just bring it back down um, so that you can think clearly and, and make good decisions. 
We're about to take a commercial break right now on Stadium to Boardroom. When we come back, we're going to be speaking with Drew Brees, and we're going to ask him about Hurricane Katrina and how sports can transcend society. Back in a few. Chances are you're paying too much in taxes. With 47 years of trusted service, the Green Group provides a one-firm solution for your taxes and finances. We go beyond the typical accounting firm and invest ourselves into understanding the intricacies of your business. Founder and owner Leonard Green is a successful businessman and author of the book, The Entrepreneur's Playbook. Call 732-634-5100 for a complimentary and confidential consultation or visit www.greenco.com. The Green Group will save you money. Hi, this is Robert Reese and Lynn Green. And we're back on Stadium to Boardroom and we're speaking with Drew Brees. So let's let's go back a couple of years and and there was Hurricane Katrina which was decimating. And what was that like for you? What was going through your mind? Um because you actually came back Bring the um, the Saints their first Super Bowl and and rebuild the the city. So what's it like when a sport can actually transcend the sport and change society? Yeah, look, you 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 see it you see it all the time, and and it's why it's why sports um, has always been so important to our society. Um, I mean, I, I I think about think about what sports meant to our society through COVID. You know, when people were stuck at home and you know, they, they weren't sure what, you know, uh, the, the future of society was going to look like after having to go through something like that, that they never thought would happen. And, and yet sports was always something that people could rally around. It's something they would, you know, kind of yearn to do together because it's such a, such a social thing as well. But, um, it just, it has the ability to lift spirits. It has the ability to give people hope. And that's exactly what sports did for the city of New Orleans and, and really the entire Gulf Coast region post Katrina. You know, I signed with the New Orleans Saints six months after Katrina. And I remember my first visit to New Orleans, driving around and basically seeing, you know, 90% of the city um, completely devastated, completely destroyed. I mean, it looked like a bomb had gone off. It looked like a war zone. And I remember seeing it on TV uh, six months previous when I was, I was with the San Diego Chargers at the time. And I mean, you have no, you know, you have no sense of just really how bad that was. I mean, you looked at it and said, golly, that looks terrible. But I mean, to see it in person, and then to begin to hear the stories and meet the people that had gone through it. Um, and so I think we knew that as a team that this was so much bigger than just football and that each and every time we stepped on the field, we, we carried a great responsibility. It wasn't pressure, but it was a great responsibility. And that was that we represented the entire city of New Orleans, the entire Gulf Coast region, um, and that we wanted to represent them the absolute best way that we could. And we, we also understood that Monday mornings after a Saints win, that those people woke up with a little extra pep in their step when it come, came back to rebuilding their homes, rebuilding their lives. Um, and so we knew we played a, a big part in that. And also, you know, honestly, we were at a point as a team where, man, the Saints had not had a lot of years of success leading up to that. There had been a lot of dysfunction um, and there had been a lot of struggle. And um, I think the team and all of us also needed the feeling that we had people that were behind us, you know, and, and, and so all of a sudden it just became kind of this interwoven, you know, um, kind of feeling of, of we've got 
the best fan base in the world. We've got the most loyal fan base in the world. We got this fan base that, you know, they, they don't have enough money to rebuild their homes and their lives, but they're finding ways to make it to Saints games to support our team. Um, and, you know, that was, that was really the start of the, kind of that journey to the Super Bowl that we won in 2009 that was really for them. And you're one more question. Many times we ask people to define success and very, very often they say, well, part of success is actually giving back to charity and making a difference. Do you believe in that also? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. I think success is continuing to be a lifelong learner, continuing to think about personal growth, continuing to think about how you can take all that has been poured into you from coaches, teachers, mentors, and be able to pass that on to the next generation. At the end of the day, we we all have a role in making this society as, as great as it can possibly be. Um, and, you know, I, I think, too, I think we always have to ask ourselves, you know, where's I, our, our identity? You know, it's one of the hardest things, I think, when transitioning from professional sports um, is, you know, the way I equate it is, you know, so many guys and gals, you've dedicated your, you know, your early life to being the very best athlete that you could possibly be. And then all of a sudden when that's over, um, you know, at times I think we all feel like maybe our identity was wrapped up in, in that sport or, you know, what we were playing. And so that's why I think a lot of people, when they get done, it's like, well, man, what do I do now? Like I'm this highly skilled, highly trained, you know, athlete, um, you know, similar to what somebody might say about in the military, you know, I'm this highly trained, you know, uh, military, um, you know, personnel, I have this skill set that, man, how do I translate that to, uh, you know, society? And at the end of the day, man, there's so many, there's so many skills in and around leadership in and around teamwork that this society needs, right? They need that. And so uh, finding areas where you can basically take those skills that you've learned and be able to apply that and help teach others, help lift, lift others up. But I think, in speaking about identity, I, I think, you know, I've, I've been a Christian since I was 17 years old. And so you know, my identity is wrapped up in Christ. My identity is wrapped up in being the best person that, that I can be and, and um, helping to influence others in a really positive way and helping to lift them up and um, helping to equip them to be, you know, the future leaders of, of this great country and this world. And um, just a quick question. You said you became a Christian at 17 years old. What happened there? Yeah. So, you know, up until that point, you know, I'd gone to church a little bit. My parents were divorced. They divorced when I was seven. And uh, so um, I was, I was, my both got remarried and I was actually, it was during my junior year of high school. And, you know, I was, I was a multi-sport athlete in high school. I'd say, you know, my world was wrapped up in and around, you know, my athletic career. And, you know, that's, that's, that's where I was setting all my goals towards, you know, I want to be a college athlete, you know, all these things. And I remember my, my junior year, I ended up getting, uh, I ended up tearing my ACL in the playoffs in, in, uh, on my high school football team. My high school football team was a perennial powerhouse, Westlake High School in Austin, Texas. And, you know, we were on our way to winning a state championship. Um, I mean, there was no doubt. It was probably the best team we'd ever had. We'd never won one. And all of a sudden, I go down with an ACL injury. We lose the next week. And here I am sitting in church a couple weeks later, big knee brace on my knee, um, thinking to myself, man, is, is my football career over? Is my my sports career over because now I can't play basketball. I can't play baseball. Right. This is my junior year. This is when you get recruited. Like I just felt like all my dreams were just being ripped away from me. And I remember sitting um, in first Baptist church of Austin, Texas, and I'm sitting in the pew and, you know, normally I'd go to church and, you know, I'd just be, you know, my a younger brother, we 
wouldn't be paying attention. We'd just be, you know, kind of messing around and um, not really listening. But for whatever reason, this 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 Sunday was different, you know. And I think maybe it was because, um, you know, I had a little bit of my athletic career flashing before my eyes. But nonetheless, um, I remember sitting there listening to our pastor talking about God looking for a few good men uh, to lead His kingdom, and I just felt like he was speaking to me. I felt like God just reached into my heart and said, all right, you're one of those people. And, um, you know, from, from that moment on, I, I realized that, you know, it wasn't about sports. It wasn't about my own, I think, personal or, or selfish aspirations that it was about uh, wrapping my identity up in God. And that no matter what happened that he had me. Um, and, uh, it was, it was kind of a renewed mindset, you know, from then on. And, um, it helped me get through, you know, that, you know, the next eight months of rehabilitation and, you know, wondering if I would ever have an athletic career again. And um, then coming out that next season, we win a state championship, go on, have a successful baseball year, go to Purdue University and the rest is history. But that uh, that faith base always, always remained very strong. So the question is about success, which you, you spoke about. And, and you said the Saints did not have a lot of success. So I'm going to equate this because I happen to be a, um, a New York Jets fan because when I was a little kid, there was this guy, Joe Namath, and he brought the whole city alive. And I'm a loyal guy. And so I stayed with the Jets. But here is here is one thing tying in. You set this record. Johnny Unitas had for, I don't know, like 52 years of the most consecutive games with a touchdown. And you set that of 54 games. Now, I watch the Jets games now, but what I see is they have not been able to score a touchdown in in ages. So here's what I want to find out from you. I'm not asking about the Jets and advice on that, but what I am asking for in life, there are a lot of people who move the ball forward, but they can't score. They can't get the touchdown. What is your mindset when you go into the red zone, be it in business or in football? Short-term, you know, short-term goals, small wins, help you get to the the big wins. I think at times uh, we we set this 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 massive goal and if we fall short of that goal it was as if it was it, it, it was a failure or it was a disappointment. And maybe there was no um, benchmarks that we established for ourselves in order to get to that that ultimate one. Um, I think it's very important um, in order to not get overwhelmed um, to set these short-term goals and wins or opportunities for that, because all that does is develop confidence. And all it does is develop this belief system that, man, when I set my mind to something like I'll accomplish it. And so I'll give you an example. So with, with some of these injuries, so whether it was that knee injury that I had in high school, or maybe more specifically my shoulder injury that I had when I left the San Diego chargers and went to the New Orleans saints, you know, so I dislocated my right shoulder and I was told by some doctors, I would never play football again. But the minute that I had that surgery and I was starting that rehab process, the doctor basically looked at me and said, like, you're not going to play football for eight months, right? Like, you're not going to be actually back on the field throwing football for eight months. I said, okay, doc, well, that, like, that's not, that's not real encouraging, right? Um, You know, that's a long way away. And it would be, it, it. if, if that is the only thing that I'm thinking about, then, man, each day just kind of gets monotonous, right? So I'm like, okay, well, what's the first objective here, right? And then and he says, well, the first objective is to get full range of motion. I said, so what's the time frame for that? And he's like, well, you know, that's probably, 
you know, six weeks. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to beat that. Right. So each and every day, now I have more of this short term goal and mindset. Like I'm not even thinking about getting on the field in eight months. That's not my, I'm thinking about how do I just beat what he said was like my benchmark. Right. And so here we are, you know, four and a half weeks later and I got full range of motion. So I'm like, all right, doc, what's next? You know, he's like, okay, well it's this. And I'm like, okay, I want to beat it. Right. So you just keep setting these short-term goals and objectives for yourself. And each time you win or, you know, accomplish that, all of a sudden that becomes like this, this boost of, of, of confidence, of energy of, okay, you know, I'm one step closer. I'm one step closer. And before you know it, you know, here I am four months later and I'm actually starting to kind of, you know, learn how to throw again. And then before you know it, I'm back on the field and it's like, man, where'd the eight months go? Right. A um, little bit of that mindset of, in football, you know, when you're sitting at the, you know, your own 10 yard line, you're not thinking about scoring right now. You're thinking about how do I get the first, first down? Like, how do I get the first, first down? How do I get the first completion? Right. And if before you know it, it's first down, it's first down, it's first down, then you're hitting your head on the goalpost. Right. So that's, that's, that's kind of the mindset is, is don't overwhelm yourself by just like locking in on this mountain in the distance and just, just think about those, short steps, those short wins, uh, small wins, short-term goals that you can set right in front of you. It's, it's almost like, Drew, you, you, the, the advice I got when I, when I ran my first marathon, it's don't worry about the 26 miles. Yeah. Through the first. A, a, a question for you that comes up all the time okay, as far as life-work balance. Okay. Is there such a thing, do you think, if you want to really be successful to, to say, hey, I'll only put the required amount of time in? Or, or is it, hey, if I want to be really successful, uh, work's got to be like fun and, and, and balancing. It just, it just really isn't there. Yeah. Well, there's only 24 hours in the day. I wish there was more, right? Because I feel like I've got so much to accomplish, so much work to do. But at the end of the day, I think the way that I approach that is, look, God has equipped us all with unique talents, ability, skills, right? And, and so as far as like working hard and striving for something, I mean, God has, he has made us that way. He's absolutely made us that way. And so don't, don't complain or, or uh, like, you know, that, that, is, that is absolutely the way that we are wired. Um, at the same time, I think what I always try to do during my career and even now is you just establish non-negotiables for yourself throughout the course of the day. Right. So non-negotiable for me in the morning is I'm going to get up, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to have a cup of coffee, right? Caffeine and Jesus is what I call it. That's the way I'm going to start every day. And I have to, in order to wire my mind and like get ready for the day. Um, and then at the end of the day, um, man, I'm going to make sure I'm there to put my kids to bed, right. And read them a book, um, have a moment to say a prayer with them, have a moment just to reflect on the day you know, um, Hey, you know, twice a week, my wife and I are going to go for a walk together, right? Like once a week or, you know, a couple times a week, we're going to have like family dinner, right? Like, so you just, you create some of these non-negotiable moments where the rest of the week, the rest of life, it can get crazy. The rest of life, you can be working your tail off. You can be right locked in focus, whatever, but you know that there are these couple moments where, man, you are going to get that faith time, that family time, like whatever your priorities are, Right. And those are the things that fill your bucket. Those are the things that rejuvenate you. Those are the things that allow you to be the very best at your job, you know, your craft, your profession. Um, and so, man, don't no excuses for, for, for working hard or, you know, <laughs> burning the midnight oil and, 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 you know, striving for something. But at the same time, make sure that you've got those non-negotiables in your life that just keep you set and keep you 
sane. <laughs> here's, here's a final question for you, Drew, and then I will wrap up. And this, of course, is Drew Brees on the Stadium to Boardroom show with Len Green and myself, where we interview the, the people who have transcended from sports into business, and they're sharing their wisdom on both. You talked about being a lifelong learner. I actually brought it up twice here. Where do you go to learn? And do you have any advice to people who want to be a lifelong learner? And most CEOs, by the way, I mean, I remember John Mackey, the founder of um, Whole Foods. He always told me, he's like, I'm learning from every single person I meet. Maybe something good, maybe something bad. But what advice do you have on being a lifelong learner? I mean, look, books, podcasts, you know, the amazing thing about the world we live in now is uh, I, podcasts. I, I mean, I probably learn more from podcasts than I do just about anything. Um, you know, you find a topic or, or you find a person that, that, you know, you really want to learn from and you can, there's tons of content out there about it. Um, and I think the, the way that you can pair that with certain things that you love to do too, like I love to ride my bike, right? So, um, you know, once, twice a week, I'm jumping on my bike and I'm going for an hour and a half bike ride, whereas normally... You know, I would just be riding my bike. Now, you know, I'm throwing a podcast. So think about it. I just got 90 minutes, three hours, you know, times two, three hours worth of like information, worth of content, worth of, you know, education on a topic, right? As I'm getting exercise, as I'm riding my bike, as I'm doing something I enjoy doing, you know, call it multitask, call it whatever you want. But at the end of the day, like we have access to all this information. And so, you know, whatever that is, you know, find, find those people, find those topics you know that you want to learn about and then set goals towards that right i mean same thing it's like hey this week i want to learn about this right so and then map out a course for how you know how you're going to put in you know the the necessary amount of time in order to to feel like you've you, you've gotten some sort of level of education around it and there you have it what a pleasure it is drew having you on the stadium to boardroom show all right guys thank you 